This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm going to sit down with the head coach of the University of Arkansas basketball team, talk college hoops, the NBA, and how it was growing up following in uh, in your dad's footsteps. I know a little bit about that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Eric Musselman. Eric, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me on, Brett. We're going to do the family thing first, because I know like you, we've heard about it a lot in our life and um, expectations. I know as a kid growing up, it really didn't bother me what my dad did for a living. I know as a little kid, that's all I ever wanted to do. I would tag along whenever I could go to the ballpark. It was never pressed upon me. This is what you're going to do. But, you know, I ended up following for you growing up with the dad, NBA coach, college coach. I know you you were a player at, at USD. What were you like as a kid? What were you thinking what do I want to do when I grow up? Well, I think uh, at a real young age, meaning probably, you know, kindergarten to, to eighth grade, I wanted to play in the NBA. Um, you know, obviously uh, hanging out with my dad uh, when he was a college coach. You know, my weekends were uh, when he was coaching at the University of Minnesota. My w- weekends were take a road trip to Michigan, take a road trip to Wisconsin, uh, jump on the plane hang out, watch practice. And then as I got a little bit older, certainly knew that my playing level was, was going to go no, no further than riding the bench at, at the University of San Diego. And then I wanted to get into uh, sports, meaning either management um, or coaching. I didn't know really which route it would take me, but I was a ball boy when my dad was uh, coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and uh, I knew that I wanted to do something uh, again, in sports, I didn't know where it would take me. 
but that was kind of a, a short synopsis of where I was from, a, from growing up and, and where my mentality was. I look at it now, you know, I had a father that played, but then he went into managing and he managed the Kansas City Royals. He managed the uh, the Cincinnati Reds as a player, you know, and as tough as it is. And, you know, as a player, how tough it can be. I did it my whole life. And but the one the solace we have as players is we either put the numbers up or we don't put the numbers up and it's on you. As a coach, and I've watched, and I've, I've played on great teams, and i played on some teams that were tough, and I'd look at my skipper, and I'd be like, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have the horses, you know? Um, sometimes it's that way. As a player, we can control our destiny. As a coach, sometimes sometimes you probably come into a season over the many seasons in your career and think, we got the boys to do it this year. And sometimes you think, man, it's going to be a long year. How do you handle – you always can blame the coach. You always are hired to be fired. Uh, how do you handle that year in and year out, knowing that I could be the greatest coach in the world and it just doesn't matter this year? I, I mean, I think that's an incredible uh, perspective, Brett, because, you know, I, I, I look at the people that I got a chance to work with, uh, Chuck Daly, uh, Mike Fratello, Doc Rivers – and especially at the professional level, I think that you're a thousand percent right. Like it really boils down to, do you have the, the players? Uh, and, and then, you know, a coach can have some impact, uh, but certainly uh, your talent level is going to kind of determine where you are. And, and, you know, the two opportunities that I got as a pro coach with the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors, we, we probably had somewhat of a ceiling um, on how far we could go with with Golden State, we had a really really young team, and so every day as as a staff, we came in and just talked about how can we get our basketball team uh, to become better. How do we get our young guys to to get better so that maybe their second contracts are a little bit better than their first contracts? And and um, and then with Sacramento, it was a situation where they had had a great coach prior to me and Rick Adelman, and they had a lot of years of playoff but they were kind of declining, you know, the three or four years before we got there. And then it was just kind of, how do you land the plane? How do you get the team to the end of the season with maybe a little bit more veteran basketball team? But uh, certainly you understand uh, if you grow up in the business like you and I have, that coaches have an impact, but, but certainly the talent level is probably going to have an even more impact on how a season progresses. I knew growing up, uh, Dad would watch me when he could. He had a, he had a different. He was still playing through my college years, so he really didn't get to play. Watch me play that much as a kid. He was hands off. Uh, he always encouraged, but at the same time, I, I never felt an ounce of pressure my entire life. And people ask me, "Oh, it had to be really tough growing." It really wasn't for me for whatever reason. Um, you know, speak to my brothers if they if 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 they thought they had expectations to lead up to. I, I don't know. But for myself, I didn't. Like I said, dad was there. Uh, he'd have advice to me on very few occasions, but I always heeded it. Uh, and, and the day that came where, you know, things started to progress and, and I was going to be a professional. And dad was just there. They go for it. The time you made the decision, dad, I'm going to coach. What was his feedback to you at the very beginning? Well, I think uh, 
both my mom and dad would have preferred that that I go into the management side of 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 things and maybe uh, instead of being a head coach maybe both of them felt like having a goal of being a general manager would be uh, more conducive and 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 a better lifestyle knowing that coaches get hired to fired and you're moving around a lot more and um, but my dad when I, my first job, my, well, my first job out of college was selling tickets for the uh, LA Clippers um, because I was kind of progressing on that management side. But, but once I, I, I started coaching, my, my dad uh, got the head job with the Timberwolves before I had been a, a, a head coach and he would not hire me with Minnesota until I got some experience coaching. And so uh, I went and coached Rapid City, the Thrillers in the in the old CBA, which was the equivalent today to the NBA G League. That's a pretty powerful lesson when your dad says, hey, I'm not hiring you until you get some experience on your own. Um, but it was a great lesson for me that you got to pay your dues. It doesn't matter what your what your dad does. Um, and then and then I remember, uh, Brett, when I got hired by. Uh, Golden State. My dad had passed away a few years prior, and I remember right before the press conference, I asked everybody to leave my the, my what would be my new office prior to walking out for the press conference. I closed the door and just cried, thinking about like how proud my dad would be uh, that he and I were the first father sons in the history uh, of the NBA to be head coaches. It was a really really emotional moment uh, that I'll never forget. Um, because I know how proud he would have been, but but he may, he he wasn't going to just hand me a job. I can tell you that when I first decided to get into coaching, he certainly made me go pay my dues and and uh, and do that at a very very young age. Interesting, because I I played against my dad a lot when he was on the other side. You know, with the it started in the minor leagues for me. Dad retired, and uh, I was in AAA. I was in Calgary, Canada. Dad was. He got his first job in professional baseball after he retired with the Tacoma Rainiers. And he was their, their, uh, their manager. I was in the league. I'd come in I'd, and believe me, Eric, I, I wanted to beat his ass every time. <laughs> and I did. And I did. Uh, I did it. And then he got the job in Cincinnati. He got the job with the Royals and I couldn't wait to, to go play him. But in 19, it was 1993. I got traded from the Seattle Mariners to the Cincinnati Reds, and I get a phone call. As you know, in the business, when you make a trade, usually this the the head coach gets on the phone call with the new player, the general manager. You do the you do the paperwork, and I got a call from Davey Johnson, and he said, uh, "Brett, I just want to let you know we're happy to have you here with the Cincinnati Reds. I got traded from the Mariners." And as a young player, you know, I was kind of, oh, wow, they traded me. Is that a bad thing? Well, I guess it's a good thing because the Reds really want me. So I had that initial phone call and, you know, Davey Johnson's my new skipper. And first thing in my mind as a young player is now I got to go to a new organization and prove to them I can play. You're a young player. You just want to get going. And at the end of our conversation, he says, uh, by the way, is your dad around? And I said, matter of fact, he's here. And he goes, could you put him on the phone? And I said, yeah, go ahead. So dad and Davey had crossed paths in their career. And my dad gets off the phone and he says, uh, Brett, what do you think? Uh, Davey wants me to be the bench coach for the Reds. 
And I looked at him and I said, Dad, are you kidding me? I said, I'm going to the Reds and now I got to have Dad tagging along. You know, I was thinking like I'm a little kid when Dad's going to coach. I'll tell you what, Eric, it was the it was the coolest year I've ever had in my pro career because I went into it with dad's going to be, you know, this is the big leagues. You can't be having dad, you know, tagging along and looking over his shoulder. I'll tell you what, he made it so cool for me. He was the, the utmost professional. It was, it wasn't father, son, it was coach player. And then on a day off, I'd get to have lunch with him and it was father, son. It was one of the most enjoyable times I had, uh, and I never got to work on a staff. I was never a peer. He was always coach player. It was never player player or, or coach coach. Uh, but you got an opportunity to work with your dad. And uh, that to me, you know, now being a little bit older and, and having a little more life experience, that had to be pretty cool. You were young at the time. But what was that like? Did you come into that thinking, Holy, how, how am I going to handle this? How is this going to work? Is dad going to be just pulling on my ear, bugging me or, or, or what's, did you have a similar experience that I did the, the first time being in the, on, in that same dugout? Well, I'll tell you what, Brett, I, I, when you were telling the story, I got goosebumps thinking about, I, and I tell people all the time, it was the best year of my career. And looking back now through time, I think about how fortunate I was. It was uh, myself and Tom Thibodeau, the current coach of the New York Knicks, we were the two assistants, both of us very, very young. And Tom had been there the year before, the year my dad said that I had to go, you know, kind of prove myself on my own before he would hire me. Um, a same experience. Uh, I called him coach in front of everybody. Um, and then uh, I actually lived with my father the first month on the job. Uh, and it became too much at, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, he'd be wanting to watch game tape. And I, I had to move out. Um, but it was so unbelievable to be able to walk into the office, see my dad, be in staff meetings with him, travel for, you know, for, for 82 nights, sit on the bench next to him, all those intense moments of timeouts, uh, of game planning. And to be able to do that with your dad is, is again, it's, probably the best year that I've ever experienced. And obviously now that my dad's passed away, I really uh, look back at that time and think about how fortunate I am. And, and my own son is on staff here at Arkansas with me. And so we've experienced that for the last four years uh, here at Arkansas where uh, my son's with me and, and it's absolutely an incredible, but you, there's, there's fine lines. Like you said, you know, when, when you're, when you're with him, it's it's work and then lunch dinner off hours it can become father and son again you can argue <laughs> i'll tell you because i i had i had it's cool to hear that because it, it can be that way and it can be so professional at the same time it could be father son just come on dad what are you thinking you know i agree with mom you know <laughs> i had such a wonderful relationship from there on and because you know, growing up, yeah, dad always had his little things. After a college game, he'd say to me, well, what do you think about that third at bat? You know, dad, give it a rest. You know, now he he was dad the fan. Uh, but once we got into that professional relationship, he, he we had such a cool relationship my whole time uh, during my whole career. I mean, I'd have times where I'd be struggling and I, I would 
call him. I'd send him a plane ticket when he wasn't working for somebody and he'd fly into wherever city I was. And we'd go under the, under this, under the uh, bleachers at, at noon. Cause we didn't want anybody to see what was going on and we'd have hitting sessions. And I really, we forged a bond. Now, Aaron and my dad were a little bit different because dad actually managed Aaron. So they, they kind of butted heads a lot. I got to the point where it's a professional thing. He can help me with my swing. He's a coach and, and we don't have to have the father, son back and forth. He's coach. I'm student. And, and it worked out really cool. And, and uh, I treasure those times that I had uh, for all those years and, and those phone calls because there was a time for him to be dad and he'd be watching my game and going, what do you think in that third at bat? The, well, dad, obviously I'm not picking the pitches up. By the way, I'm going to send you a plane ticket. Can you fly to Colorado tomorrow? Cause I'm really scuffled. By the way, don't tell anybody you're coming. I won't tell anybody cause we don't want, you know how that gets with coaches, you know, Oh, he's, he's moving in on my territory. You know, the politics get into it. Uh, but really cool to hear that, that story. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You've had so much experience, Eric, been in so many different capacities, assistant coach, head coach, college. Uh, like you said, when you first were getting into it, equal to the G League, I think you mentioned. College baseball versus pro baseball. Very different, but but I, I don't think equal to college basketball versus pro basketball. I think the college level is a little higher than a college baseball would be because of the minor leagues. Um, you played at USD, how different between an SEC type program, a PAC 10 type program versus NBA basketball? Well, I think that's a, as, as the NBA has evolved with now everybody having a minor league team, the roster, you know, has expanded. When I was with the Timberwolves as an assistant coach, and there was really only 12 players. Now there's, 15 players there's guys on two-way contracts there's players on exhibit 10 contracts i think the college game at an sec level is much closer now to what an nba roster is like especially when you look at those roster spots like 8 to 15 and you take away the top 8 on the rotation it it's it's getting closer and closer with each year um, but still as as you know brett the difference between a pro player and a college player, in my opinion, whether it's, you know, SEC football, SEC basketball, SEC baseball, there's still a dramatic difference just because it's so hard to play at the professional level and have a career. I think for a for a basketball player, you know, maybe a year or two putting on an NBA uniform could be a realistic goal for a lot of the top players uh, in college. But to actually have a career where you're, where you're on second and third contracts that's so difficult. You've got to have such great professionalism. You've got to carve a niche uh, and do one thing really, really well at the basketball level to be able to last and be an NBA player. 
Um, but certainly I do think that, that in our league, meaning the SEC, what's going to happen in the first round is much the way it's gone the last several years. The SEC is going to have a lot of first-round draft picks. And so I do think that with each passing season and, and again, the way that the G League has evolved and the, and the rosters have expanded, we are getting much, much closer from a talent level maybe than what we were 10 or 12 years ago. And it's, it's always interesting for me to talk to people that, that have grown up and made a living in, in another sport at the highest level. Baseball is very unique. When I'm a college baseball player, it's there's still discipline involved. If I don't show up to the weight room, I've got to run laps. You get to pro ball, it's more of, no, we're, we're going to treat you a little bit more like men now. And there's still – there still might be a curfew here and there you get to the big leagues. No, now you're a man. We expect you to be a finished product. We're not going to babysit you, but if you don't get your job done, you're going to get fired. Yep. So there's a completely different way that the coaching staffs, the manager uh, from big leagues to minor leagues, minor leagues, you're still teaching Uh, big leagues. It's like you're a finished product and I'm not here to hold your hand. You're hitting six today and I expect you to get a couple hits. And if you don't, you'll get fired. You'll go back to the minor leagues or we'll just get released. We'll we'll get ready all together. College baseball. Still, I remember my, my coach at USC, Mike Gillespie. Wednesday, you know, we'd have practice and sitting out there and, and Skipper's got the He's got his notes. He says, uh, yeah, Mr. Boone, uh, you didn't go to the weight room today uh, or yesterday. What, what's the problem? Skip, uh, hey, I'm a baseball player. I don't lift weights. And this is back in 1988. And he's like, well, I, I don't care what you do. The rules are you go to the weight room. Well, I didn't go. I'm not going to lift weights. All right, we'll start running. Okay. I'll <laughs> run. You know, next week, same thing. Start running. Big leagues, that's not going to happen. It's going to be your big boy. Handle it as a coach in the college game. Did you feel like at the college level, I've got to teach and kind of nurture and kind of help in the process of turning these young men into men? And and how is that approach different from being a head coach in the NBA? Is it like baseball or are there differences? No, I, I think, uh, you know, basically the example you gave, Brett, is, is, is what goes on. I mean, obviously, uh, my background just so unique because I have coached college, I have coached in the G League, and have coached at the NBA level. So I've kind of experienced all three. And what I try to do is bring all three together, all those experiences. So, um, you know, if a player is playing at Arkansas and they want to live alone, I give them that freedom. If they want to have two roommates, that's cool. If they want to, some guys are living four to a place. Um, and I give them that freedom or maybe some other programs. It's you, this is exactly what you're doing. You do not have an option when we're on the, on the road and we're going uh, to eat at Arkansas. I might ask the guys, Hey, where, what kind of restaurant you guys want? You want Italian food? You want sandwiches? You know what steak? What do you, what do you guys want? Um, instead of maybe where a lot of college programs, everything's already set up. So I, I've tried to take a lot of the stuff that we would do at the NBA level, uh, but with the understanding that the reason I love coaching college basketball is because you can have an impact on trying to 
what you said, Brett, like how do you get a player to understand when he gets to the next level? And it could be NBA, could be G League, could be playing in Europe. How do you get that player to understand what it's like to be a pro? Show up on time. Don't miss the weights. Uh, do the extra things. Be the first one in the building. Be the last one to leave. What do you like in the video room? How much do you understand the scouting report? Can you go out on the practice floor and skeleton offense with and and you know all five positions? Uh, some of those things I think that that we can really really help uh, get a player ready for the next level because I've been there. I understand what it's like to go through the draft process. I understand the questions that are asked when you go into a draft room. So all those things, Brett, I think are things that you've got to educate and try to get a college student athlete to understand what is coming if his career path is going to potentially take him to be a professional player. I had a son that went to uh, play college baseball. And the first question was, uh, well, does the coach that I said, here's what I care about. I care about him getting his education pursuing his dream which is being a professional baseball player but at the same time that that college coach beyond the x's and o's beyond of uh, of teaching you how to play short at a high level that's kind of secondary i i thought no i want this is this guy going to be a good dad away from his real dad is he going to mold him and and turn him into a man to bring him back because as you see, you see guys come and go. Not everybody's going to have a career in the NBA when they go through college. But are, when you let them go, when they're done playing, did you make a difference? Is is that how you approach a lot of your college athletes? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt, Brett. I think that, you know, the, the greatest thing is when a player leaves, graduates, and then you have a relationship with him you know, several years later, many years later. And, and so for us, I think that's a that's a big key. I mean, some of the guys that, um, you know, that we had at Nevada now that we're looking at seven, eight years away from coaching some of those guys, some of the greatest things ever, getting invited to a wedding, uh, a, a player calling and asking, hey, can you can you call uh, this job? I'm, I'm applying for a job. Can you help me use me? You know, can, can I use you as a reference? Um, those are as some of the guys that want to get into coaching. I mean, those relationship type things or somebody uh, is sending pictures that they just had a child. Um, all those experiences and relationships are just much different maybe than what you would experience uh, as an NBA coach. I mean, certainly you want relationships as an NBA coach or an MLB manager or an NFL coach. Uh, but I do think you can have much more depth because of what you're talking about that you went through with your own son is a coach does oftentimes take on a father figure for many of the guys. And, 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 and what are you doing in the time that you coach that student athlete? And then the time that he leaves you, how much have you helped prepare him for the real world to become a husband, uh, to become a father and, and, and to have success uh, in the business world. Those are all things that become paramount if you're coaching any sport at the collegiate level you've been an assistant at the collegiate level you've been a head coach at the collegiate level assistant in the nba head coach in the nba what are the biggest differences in the two we'll, we'll, we'll start with college being an assistant now being the man i i played with 
I played for a lot of great managers in my career. I played for some some organizations that had great bench coaches. That doesn't necessarily mean a great bench coach is a great manager. Uh, vice versa doesn't mean a, a mediocre bench coach can't manage. It's it's personalities. It's how they handle it. What were the biggest? And, and I don't even know if it's fair to call them challenges. But what's the differences of being an assistant and now you take over a program and now the buck stops with you? That wins and losses, they're going to fall on you as an assistant, maybe not so much. Yeah, the overall picture is going to be taken into account. But at the end of the day, the success and the failure is usually going to land on that head coach. Well, I think, Brett, for me, my my path at the collegiate, you know, is, is just way different than almost anybody because I, you know, I started off in pro basketball. Um, and I was I did not have a job in college until I had already been a head coach of the Sacramento Kings and Golden State Warriors. So uh, I was an assistant coach after having the experiences that I had at the NBA level. And, and I did that because I knew that I did not know the college landscape. I didn't know how to recruit. I didn't know how to put together a college basketball schedule. Um, so I had to learn. I spent two years at Arizona State under Herb Sendak, um, and I learned a lot of stuff. Then I went to LSU for one year, um, and, and the LSU experience really helped me from a recruiting standpoint. I worked for Johnny Jones. Um, the Arizona experience, I really learned how to put together a schedule. I learned the, the, the generalities of what the college landscape are like. Um, and without being an assistant coach for those three years, I would have failed miserably as a head college coach. I, the good thing was I knew what I didn't know. And I knew that I had a lot to learn, although I had all this experience uh, at, at the NBA level. And then once I got my head coaching job, I was prepared to put together a staff. I was prepared uh, from an X and O standpoint. And I was prepared from a uh, recruiting standpoint because of those two backgrounds of, of putting my time in, but it was a very humbling experience. I can tell you that Brett from, from being a head coach, whether it's the G league NBA to going to being a college assistant, it's probably the most humbling experience that I've ever had in my life. Um, but, but an experience that I wouldn't trade at all because I learned so much those three years as an assistant uh, to prepare me for my first opportunity uh, which Nevada gave me that first opportunity. And and I think that's why we had great success for the four years, my first four years as a, as a college head coach, because I was willing to learn um, and, and kind of start as an assistant coach. I, I recently had a, a teammate of mine, a uh, utility player. His name is Willie Bloomquist, and now he's the head coach at Arizona State Baseball. And, and I talked to him about that. I said, how is the process? He said, Brett, I had no idea what I was getting into from a recruiting standpoint. And especially nowadays, you know, when I was coming up, uh, the Major League Baseball draft, uh, if you were the first overall pick, you might have got a signing bonus of $400,000. Now you're the first overall pick. It's $13 million. So the first round, the second round, third round, usually in pro ball now, it's an automatic sign. Whereas back in our, you know, back when I was a kid, it wasn't automatic. You had first round picks going to Stanford on a full ride. That's different now. And, and I talked to him, he said, the biggest challenge, Brett, is the recruiting. And I said, because you can't recruit the best players because they'll never get there. 
they'll they'll be a first round pick. So how do you how do you recruit, you know, in the baseball world, which is different than basketball? How do you recruit the good guy that's not good enough to get drafted high enough so you can get him? And he said, and and there's one more challenge. He said, for me, they rank us in recruiting classes. So I, I've got to kind of have some blue chip guys out there, but I know they're never going to see the, the Arizona state campus, but it was fascinating uh, in his journey. This is his second year on, on all the, you know, here's a guy that's in the big leagues for 16 years, baseball uh, for, for many years, the pro game didn't, didn't, overlap with the college game. Now you're seeing more and more ex big leaguers becoming head, head coaches at, at division big programs. Uh, it, but it was really interesting, you know, talking to him about that. Interesting to me, how you say you went from the program pro game to the college game. And I've only had one pro experience as a coach. I, I did it for the Oakland A's in, in 2014 and 15. Uh, I worked with the minor leagues. I was a special assistant to Billy Bean. I really enjoyed it working with the low levels of the minor league where, where they're still, they've got a little bit of clay to them where you can give them a little piece of advice that maybe helps them a little bit. I really enjoyed my time uh, doing that. It, it became a situation calendar wise where I had kids growing up. I didn't want to miss their high school season. So I only did it for a couple of years, but really enjoyed it. I realized for myself walking into that locker room right away. And, and this is, you know, four or five years after I'd retired, I had instant credibility as a player, just the name when you walk in. But I also found out that credibility lasts only so long. <laughs> Those players want to know you can help them. And if you can't, yeah, that's great. Your baseball card and anything, but I'm going to go talk to the peanut lady, find out how to get a hit. Uh, going from the pro level MBA to college, did you find that you had that instant credibility just because of who you were and where you'd been, but you still got to prove yourself at this level? No question, Brad. I, I, obviously, um, if you've been a, a head coach at the NBA level and then you're a, a college assistant or a college head coach, there's instant credibility uh, without a doubt. But uh, one of the guys I worked for, Chuck Daly, he would say all the time, like the players in tennis – are incredible. And if you cannot help them get better, you lost them. And so I, I certainly feel like from a credibility standpoint, uh, from a respect standpoint, you get that right away, but then it's up to you to hold that respect and hold that credibility. And the only way you can do that, again, is for those players to understand that you can help them become better players. I, so many coaches, I think, get caught up or so many leaders in scheme and X and O's, but in reality, what the individual player wants is how can you help my career? How can you help me become a better player? What uh, nuggets or what uh, what can you do from an adjustment standpoint to help me get better? And so it doesn't matter your background. It really comes down to are you willing to put in the sweat equity? Are you willing to watch enough tape? Are you willing to share ideas that can resonate with the player to help him improve his craft. So I, I do think you get instant credibility based on maybe where you've been in the past. Certainly it helps, I think, in recruiting when you're recruiting and maybe a parent um, remembers your time coaching at that, at, at that professional level. It might help get you in the door recruiting, but you still got to have a great plan uh, to share and a great vision to share with the player, the prospective student athlete, as well as the parents. 
last thing I want to talk to you about. I think this is interesting. You've done it. You've been there, been there, done that. I could say looking at your resume, everybody gets hired. Everybody's going to get fired. You know, in my game, uh, Joe Torrey one day is going to be shown the door and I don't care how many rings you got. Bobby Cox, who I played for in Atlanta one day, you're going to be shown the door. That's just the nature of the business. Um, I watched my dad take on a team in Cincinnati. They weren't very good. He was shown the door. Kansas City Royals, uh, he was shown the door. And I watched him go through those ups and downs and uh, the hiring process, the firing process. You're on top one day. The next day, you're, oh, wow, he got fired. That's part of it. That's part of what you do. When you when you sign up to be a head coach or, or to say whatever, you know one day that's going to end, you know. Uh, you've been through it on many occasions. How How is that? And how do you pick up the pieces? What's that short term when you know this is the end of my tenure here? What am I going to do next? Uh, give Give the audience listening out there to the Boone podcast what that's like. Do you find out who your friends are? How does your family look at you? You know, I remember when dad got fired. It's like, no, oh, I still love you, dad. But Man, how you feeling? You know, it's kind of like I'm walking on eggshells. You're going to be okay? You've been through it a lot. Tell me tell me that process and and right when it happens. All right, what am I going to do? What, yep. what, how do we pick up the pieces here? There's a lot in that in that Brett too from a family standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a friendship standpoint. Um so the first uh real experience that I uh can remember um was when uh my father got fired from the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was in high school and uh, I had come from basketball practice. Uh, my girlfriend picked me up and was driving me back home. And we had the radio on. It wasn't sports radio. We had a music radio station on and it came on breaking news that Bill Musselman had been fired from the Cleveland Cavaliers. I had no idea it was coming. Um, I asked my girlfriend to pull off to the side of the road. I wanted to be left alone. I got out of the car and just uncontrollably started crying. Um, that was my very first experience. Um, I got home, my dad explained what happened. All of a sudden my world was going to stop, meaning I wasn't going to go to any more NBA games. I wasn't going to go in the locker room anymore. I wasn't going to be able to rebound uh, for Larry Bird when the Celtics came in to play a road game. All of that stuff as a 10th grader in high school came crashing down. Um, but I learned really quickly, life goes on. Uh, and I got to watch my dad, um, his resilience and his positive attitude through it. And I remember him talking to our family, my sister, my, my mom, and, and, and just saying, hey, look how blessed we are. Look at the house we're living in. Uh, we're we're going to end up moving to another big city at some point. Um, and so I, I think my perspective just what you said, Brett, like we're all going to get fi- that 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 comes with the lifestyle that we have. Um, and so I've learned when you get fired, it's really about how you respond. That's that's the the ultimate. Um, but, yeah, your phone, the longer you go without a job, you're going to get less phone calls. Um, and I've learned when 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 another coach gets fired, I always reach out to him and then I try to stay in touch um, I love picking the brains of coaches that are no longer working. I think they have a great perspective. Um, and you know what? There's probably a lot of great coaches that have that have won 
a lot of games based on personnel or based on where they're at, what organization, what program they're at. There's a lot of great coaches that have been fired um, that are great X and O coaches and are great leaders, but maybe things just didn't work out. And I don't think you can um, value your life based on your one loss record or based on if you have a job or based on if you're fired. I think the bottom line is, did you maximize uh, the potential of the of the people that you led, um, and you do have to understand that that all coaches at some point are going to be shown the door. And then again, I think it's really about how you respond is really the key to 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 to, to coaching and being a leader. Yeah, it's amazing because it's almost and you mentioned to it if it, a buddy of yours uh, gets fired, you'll reach out and, and and talk. It's almost like when it happens to us. Uh, you know, at one point in my career, it was like, it's, it's over for you. And, and I even felt it, you know, your kids and, and, you know, in my case, my dad, Hey, you okay? No, don't look at me that way. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. But I did the same thing when my dad would get fired and be like, Oh, you know, I've watched my brother now managing the Yankees the last few years. And, and, and New York is such a crazy place. It's like, he's getting fired every week. <laughs> But as a brother, I'm, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Hey, don't give me that. Am I okay? I'm fine. Uh, so it seems like we make more of it when it's somebody else close to us than when it's happening to our, but, but yeah, just the people, the way they look at you, your, it could be your kids, your wife, your parents, whoever it may be, your friends, they're giving you that, uh, you're going to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to be just fine. And, and, but, but you understand when you have a friend or somebody that's in that same predicament that I've been here before. I know how this feels, you know, so you probably know how to handle it a, a little bit better. Uh, Eric, I appreciate you coming on the program. This, this was a lot of fun. I think uh, a lot of insight in, in the world of college basketball and the, in the world of professional basketball. I think the people listening to the boom podcast enjoyed it. I certainly appreciate you having coming on and, uh, all the best. Have a, have a great year at the university. Uh, give them hell, and uh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Brett. I really appreciate it. You got it. For all you listen, listen to the Boom Podcast out there, thanks for tuning in. See you next time.